Today's episode of That Song From That Movie is coming up after this. What's good, people? This is your boy, Big Bruh. I'm the host of Live with Big Bruh, a podcast where I keep it raw, uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. Always keeping it 100 and giving you guys my opinion on topics that you need to go check out. Live with Big Bruh is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, or wherever else like to listen to your favorite podcast make sure you go subscribe rate and share it and while you're at it tell your friends to tell their friends to do the same thing you can find me on instagram facebook or twitter at live with big bruh and remember they can hold you but they can't stop you big bruh out This one has been a long time coming, and it's probably one of our most requested episodes ever. Well, second to Shrek at least. So get ready for a Christmassy that song from that movie. Christmas time. Mistletoe and wine. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the Yuletide journey for the very best and worst of Christmas movie songs. I am your holidays are coming, holidays are coming, holidays are coming, host Dietrich. And we locked him up for 50 years to see what makes him tick, Alex. Yeah, and we still are none the wiser. Still got another 19 years to go. (laughs) Indeed. And his wife may call him the Bone Daddy, but we just know him better as Ben. Bone daddy? There's no way I am elaborating on this. <laughs> Next bone question, please. Daddy? I mean, if you said if you said it like that, the bone daddy, the bone daddy, long-legged Mac daddy. <laughs> Thought I'd start off the podcast with a bit of a surprise for you now as well. Okay. I know I did it last year, but I managed to get another exclusive for our Christmas episodes. Is it? Is it uh, Alan Partridge again? Oh, it's the bells. It's- it's Santa. Santa is here with me. He's 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 enjoying the podcast with us. Very tired bells. With the graveyard shift when he gets to Leeds. And what he wants to know, what his Christmas present is, he wants to know what you've been watching this week. <laughs> Doesn't he a lot, does he? But from this, he will decide if you're on the naughty or nice list. Oh, so uh, choose wisely. Yikes. Um, so, so we watched a film the other day, and it was called The Family Stone. Have you, your silence suggests to me that neither of you two have seen this film. No, no, no. Never heard of it. So it's a, it's a Christmas movie. Santa's shaking his head too. About 2003, I think it was. And it has um, Sarah Jessica Parker, Luke Wilson, Diane <laughs> Keaton randomly, and uh, a whole host of other people. Uh, Rachel McAdams was another one. And it's it's kind of like a, a, a holiday rom, like screwball rom-com. But it's like the most weird, culty, chaotic kind of film that I think I've seen in absolutely ages. It's just like none of it makes sense, but yet it's strangely compelling. Luke Wilson doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but this, this film is just like, it's tonally all over the place. Like one minute it's like a bit of like a goofball comedy, the next minute like the mum is dying of cancer. Oh dear. It's uh, one that has to be seen to be believed, I think. Alex, I usually rely on you at this time of year. Is there a new Christmas Prince? I don't think there is. There wasn't one last year, but I think there is a Christmas Switch 3. There is a Christmas Switch 3. (laughs) I know, we're going to watch it tomorrow. And there's also, uh, what's it, Single All The Way? 
You seen that? Oh god! No. Which is a fantastic title for a film. <laughs> it is a great title. Does the single refer to like a single relationship status or yes. like music? It, no, a single relationship. Yeah, status. yeah I've got, like all the single ladies, single by Natasha Bedingfield, that kind of vibe. The only thing that would really disappoint me is that there wasn't a night before Christmas too. Too, yeah, also that's starring the surgeons yeah. set in Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Is that what it was set? Oh yeah, yeah it was. Set in Norwich, yeah, the yeah. beginning. Yeah, the beginning <laughs> yeah. of it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. They go back to ye old Norwich, ye olde Norwich, or Norwich as they were. There. Yes, yeah. Which I've heard Taylor Swift say when she played here, and I saw her live. <laughs> she said, "Hello, Norwich." It must happen a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, it probably does. I feel bad for anyone that plays in Worcestershire. <laughs> Worcestershire. Not, not for saying it, just because they're <laughs> playing in Worcestershire. <laughs> Got him. Yeah, take that. Those three people that live there. I've watched hardly anything. I watched Red Notice. It was terrible. And then I've been watching Hawkeye, which I also think is terrible. Uh, Hawkeye's been okay. Nah, I think it's crap. Uh, it, it could definitely turn crap. I think it's too early to say at the moment, but it's no, it's not it's grabbing me quite the three same episodes, way. Three hours in is not too early to say something is crap. <laughs> it, it is when it's uh, like halfway through a story. Mm. Don't know. I'm in. The, I'm in the age now. You have to sell me in the first five minutes. I need a Matrix-like opening, or else I'm gone. So, so what you're saying is you're not going to be watching the nine-hour Peter Jackson Beatles documentary? Uh, it's nine no. hours. Yep. About that. What? Why? Do I get back my time at the end? <laughs> uh, I watched Brassic. What? The new series of Brassic. Did, does that mean that you watched the previous two seasons? Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> It shouldn't be. It's got a terrible cast, but it's it's a really compelling TV show. Has that guy from This Is England, right? He's the main guy, isn't he? Uh, yeah, it's it's his show. Like he writes and everything. Oh, does he? Thomas yeah. Turgus. Uh, sorry, I don't know. He's the only guy I know from <laughs> This Is England. Something Thomas Turgus, the main like guy. Like Gills, Gill something. I can't remember his actual name. He was in the better seasons of uh, the TV show with the superpowers and E4. Oh right, I know. I know, ex- I know exactly who you Misfits. mean. Though, yeah. Misfits. Misfits. Yeah. yeah, which also had Ramsey Bolton in it. Book sausage. That's literally all I can think of when, I, when someone says Ramsey Bolton to me now. Sausage. <laughs> Move on, please. So our festive movie song's journey takes us on a detour via Halloween to Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out. Time for some history. <laughs> We'd be vibing? Yeah, we'd be vibing. Um, so it was a long time ago, longer now than it seems, in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams. October 1993. The main news story is that there's a military coup in Russia. Um, <laughs> and, How are you um, setting this up? It's just like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. I honestly do. I didn't. I haven't got no more notes on it because it was too complicated to read about. Can you make a Gorbachev joke? It was, uh, was he still in charge at this point or they already got rid of him? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was Khrushchev. <laughs> tear down these walls um, so I've made no notes on that so a couple of songs that were making it big in the month of October in 1993 were Boom Shake the Room by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince nice Classic. nice. and uh, also Relight My Fire by Take That and Lulu which I mean it's hard to tell that was 93 apparently <laughs> wow who knows which one of those songs is better I mean they're both pretty good there's a lot of good films that came out in this uh, month though Falling Down, which I know is a, is a D favourite. Oh, yep, yep definitely. Yep. Cool Runnings, which I can only imagine is a Ben favourite. Good old egg. <laughs> True Romance, which is an Alex favourite. Sleepless in Seattle, which I assume is all of our favourites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Great film. <laughs> Number one film. <laughs> My wife's favourite. 
And then, uh, yeah, the film Nightmare Before Christmas also came out in uh, this month and this year, which is why we're talking about this month and this year. It's a stacked month. It's, it is a stacked month. And it, and I think this film has like, uh, gone on to be quite uh, critically and commercially successful, but it probably had a quite a hard time in that initial month that it was released. <laughs> but yeah, so the story was written by Tim Burton, but he did not direct it, and he did not write the script for it. So anyone that says that he did is wrong. It was directed by Henry Selick, and the songs are by Danny Elfman, who played a very, very significant role in this film. It tells the story of Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King, who, growing tired of the repetitive role he plays in Halloween, discovers Christmas Town and a potential way out of his tedium. So, before we go into the many, many, many songs, <laughs> um, what do we think of this film? Um, I think it's quite divisive from my history with this film and people's opinions of it. People seem to either really like it or think it's terrible. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to find out what you guys think. I'm, I'm probably going to ruin your uh, divisive thing here by by self going down the middle. Saying you find it very mediocre. <laughs> Thought that might happen. I only saw this movie for the first time last year. Ooh. Okay. Uh, which was, I guess, a bit a bit of a surprise. Because like, obviously you guys know that I'm a white guy with tattoos and a fringe. Surely this should have been my whole personality. <laughs> yeah, you're saying you don't have a Jack Skellington face on your right or left book cheek. Uh, that you know no of. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only reason I actually watched it last year is because I anticipated us doing this on the podcast last year. Ah, okay. So I, wa- I watched it last November thinking, oh, we'll definitely do this in the podcast. And then we decided to do The Grinch about ten times. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I can say that I, I do like Nightmare Before Christmas generally. And it is better than The Grinch, I guess. <laughs> uh, but like is as, as about as strong as word I can use here. Uh, the movie's enjoyable for its songs. Okay. But I think if you got rid of those songs, the movie sort of is quite boring. Yep. And has a stretched runtime. I mean, it's only what eighty minutes. Yeah, it ain't long. And it 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 feels like the last twenty minutes are just you could just get rid of it. I mean, I said that a lot about a lot of these animated movies. I I I realize that. I think I think in this case it's one hundred percent a valid criticism, though. It's something I've yeah. written in my notes as well. Is that that latter half of the film just feels like it is really weirdly disjointed and makes not it makes very little sense in a lot of ways. Uh, but anyway, go, yeah. yeah, Ben, go on, what, what's uh, your perspective? Um, I, I like it a lot more probably than how you guys are coming across talking about it. No, I'm but not, I'm not, I'm not I kind of. Uh, uh, <laughs> what I love about it is the world building side of it. A lot of it's not really explained. It's very weird. Uh, which obviously is very Tim Burton, but I think like Tim Burton, it's very concept heavy, and that's why I think it it drips off. I don't think he's great narratively. I think he's good at coming up with you know weird and wonderful ideas that seem sort of slightly left field, nightmarish. But actually, his narrative skills aren't always there. Personally, they they don't sort of go too heavy on trying to explain a lot of the film, which I do like, and that they kind of just jump straight into it. I know it doesn't, it's not exactly the deepest of films because it is a more or less a sort of teen children's film. But I kind of love that it is incredibly weird. The creature design, I think it's fantastic. It's quite eldritch horror like. I do like a lot of the songs, but I do think the film is almost better on mute. <laughs> I think it does, it makes it very light hearted, the songs, and jovial. And it actually. If you if you watch some of the scenes back and you just turn off the volume, it's incredibly freaky. But yeah, you're not going to do that, so I'll shut up. 
Well, if one person does pen, then you got it. You got it across. Uh, well, I did, so there we go. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's a good job you're on a movie song podcast. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the silent medium doesn't have a lot going for it in the podcast world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to to give you my guys' take on this. I kind of agree. I do agree with both of you. I think, like, visually, it's quite stunning. Yeah. And there isn't anything really that's come since that kind of looks the same way as a very distinctive appeal, which I think is probably why it has maybe, like, stayed in the pop culture for so long. I think, like, obviously, like you say, it's very Tim Burton-esque, but it has something else about probably because it's stop motion. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot with a lot of his stuff, it the surreal nature of it kind of takes over and you can really tell you're watching a film and it's not like you can't with this but i think because anything that's stop motion has that kind of tangibility about it it makes it seem quiet i don't know it just gives it that extra flavor but i think like to go on your point d i think the narrative of this film and i think you actually mentioned it as well ben really is really really weak and actually doesn't make much sense i mean and and this this kind of comes from the fact that it was so the origins of this film is that it tim burton wrote poem and did some sketches when he was working as an animator for disney and that's all it was initially <laughs> i think he was um the the animation uh the i think it was like a sub company that he was working for that was under the bracket of disney they were let all let go for whatever reason but disney held on to the rights to the film because he'd kind of written it as a con- written it and ske- well, written the poems and sketched as a concept and then like he went off and directed this timber and obviously went off and directed like beetlejuice batman edward scissorhands and then disney like hmm this guy seems to have some sort of like box office like know-how. Let's try and just make this film that he wrote a poem for like 10 years before. So they then asked him to make it into a film, which he really struggled to do and write script for. So he just got in touch with Danny Elfman, who he'd worked with on the other films, and he essentially like gave him a little bit of like what he thought was the story. And then Danny Elfman would write a song about that. Then he would give him a bit more, then he would write a song about it. And then they wrote the script after all the songs were finished. So the songs came first, and then they stitched it into a film, which is why the narrative just feels a bit like secondary to to the songs. And wow. um, that's got to be rare. Yeah, that's 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 interesting because now you say that, when I sort of think about the film, it does feel like almost like they work backwards from each song. Like, how yeah. do we get from that song to this song rather than an overarching story? And it's actually what Danny Elfman said was the hardest thing about writing the score for the film was that he only had about thirty seconds in between songs to introduce a motif so that when a song started the audience wasn't surprised by it so like you'll see if you watch even if you just watch the first 10 minutes in between each song they'll introduce a light motif of the song that is about to come very quickly after a song is finished and it's quite odd like in there's a scene where they introduce the motif of what's this which will obviously come on to when we talk about the songs um and it goes straight into just another scene where the mayor is outside jack's house so it's completely disconnected but they just introduce a little section of it just so that you, when that song starts like 10, 30 seconds later, you're prepared. It's, it's quite odd. Yeah. It, it feels like a musical. Yeah. Like a full-on musical where the exposition is in the songs. Not like, not like a, a typical Disney film in which it's kind of a, a cutaway and then just some longing song. Or um, Yeah, it's very much, it's all in the music. You're going to see it for the music. Yeah, that's the driving the driving force behind it. That's why there's the script in between is just so minimal because the songs are supposed to be doing all of the work. But I think that this is where it kind of almost falls down for me because I don't know what you guys think about the the, the uh, age-old question of whether this is a Halloween film or a Christmas film. I always saw it as a Christmas film, but it came out in October. Mm. 
yeah, yeah. I also classify it as a Christmas film in the sense that Miracle on 34th Street is not a New York film. So <laughs> 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 it's kind of a good analogy, though. I know what you mean. I've always thought it was a Christmas film, and then that's why we're doing it at Christmas. Uh, but yeah, it was released in Halloween, so that kind of goes against. And obviously, the, the majority of the film is set after Halloween, so dri- Christmas is the driving factor in this film. It's the the holiday of change, I suppose, as it's uh, demonstrated in this film. Do you know Henry Selick directed one of your favorite films, Alex? God, I don't know. What was it? Monkey Bone. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, now you say that, there are. Is that why you made that noise when I said there's not been too many films similar? Because that was just kind of a similar one. Well, to be fair, he is all like the, the films that I consider similar to this are the ones he's done. Like he did James and the Giant Peach, which is a fantastic yeah, similar. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did Coraline, which is an awesome, oh, well, yeah, a, an absolutely fantastic film. Yeah. Um, in yeah, fact, but better think- than all. Probably um, better, 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 all better than Nightmare Major. Before Christmas. Yeah, it's interesting to say it's not Monkey really, Bone. Maybe not Monkey Bone. It, it's really interesting that, that that is the same person actually, because it does feel like those films, even though like you said Coraline is better than all of those films, they all kind of owe something to this film, don't they? In a lot of ways, yes. in terms yeah. of how oh, they yeah. look and and how we accept the way they look in some ways, because they are all very strange. Those films, you won't get any of them if you, if this wasn't the success it was. Yeah, and and I think he's making a new horror film with. Um, Jordan Peele, and his next stop motion. It's like the third one that he's done in for his um, you know Monkey Paw production. So that'll be really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm just reading my notes, but yeah, no, that does sound really good. Um, I mean, the only the only thing I've got about the film before we go into the songs was I, I was kind of I kind of alluded to it already, but what do you guys think the actual message of this film is? Because it's is that that really <laughs> confuses me hmm. because it feels like obviously at the beginning it's saying it that Jack is. He's grown frustrated and tired of the same old routine, as he says, um, of just doing Halloween over and over. He finds Christmas. That's his new thing. And then at the end, there's just a song, which we'll talk, discuss later, where in the space of about five seconds, he's like content with the life that he had before with no real reason <laughs> to not to, to, to be. And it's just like, what is the message? Is, is it stay in your own lane? Never try and do something different. <laughs> like it's really kidnapping has no consequences. The grass isn't the grass is not always greener. <laughs> yeah, it's a really it's it's not an optimistic message, but it, no, but it's, it, it puts it, it across it, in that way. Yeah. So it's confusing. It feels like it should be ending in the middle, in which like he tries to change Christmas. He thinks he can do it better. I guess because he's in this position of power beforehand and thinks, well, you know, I can solve this. I, I can do this. This is easy. Which is what I like about it is that sort of two worlds meeting and just not really understanding it and how someone might interpret coming from a world completely revolved around scaring and Halloween, how you try to understand Christmas. But yeah, he's just like, oh, oh shit, <laughs> never mind. And it's as if the film never existed. Yeah, I think it's that there's no change. Is the, the change is just that he accepts the way he was before. And it's kind of like, well, that could be a good message, but he didn't like how he was before. So it's it's like, it's a film that goes nowhere, but we're expected to see it. It's like some big change. So it's just kind of odd, but I think that that comes from the fact that it's based around the songs and not script first. Because you would write the script with that fundamental change in character at that point, where actually it doesn't in this way. But um, should we move on to the songs? Mm. Because there are a lot of them, and uh, we probably need to get going. So, <laughs> the first song uh, is aptly "This Is Halloween," which introduces Merry Christmas. the audience. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, which introduces the audience to Halloween Town and its many residents, such as the people with snake in their hair, the vampires, the clown with no face. 
So yeah, what do you guys think of this opening number? Yeah, I like this one. It's uh, it's it's an earworm. The repetition of the uh, that this is Halloween. This is Halloween. I find that in my head quite often. Just sort of walking around, like it's a almost like it's a military beat, like one syllable per step. I, I in my notes I wrote down vampires, which I'm, I'm now realizing <laughs> is they were the best bit. Like High pitch vampires. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. But yeah, it's a it's it's a great song, and it uh, sort of going back to what Ben said when we were talking about the film. It sort of sets the scene. You don't really need to know much else. You know everything you know about Halloween Town from a song. Really, it should have been called "This Is Halloween Town." Yeah, wouldn't fit. Quite this is Halloween song. Town. <laughs> in brackets, obviously. Obviously, respect those brackets. Just respect the hypothetical brackets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, they come. I mean, like I said, I, I, I don't like the song. <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> wow. I find I I find it an earworm. Yes. But again, I think it, the the two selling points of the of the film are the songs and the visuals. I do prefer the visuals in general. Just that's my sort of more interest. And I I rewatched the film like two days ago, and I was just listening to the songs this morning, and I just muted it about halfway through, and, and I thought this is more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Um, if they just got rid of the ghosts, why do you add ghosts over it? Why do you have to hand draw Ooh. ghosts over it? Like everything else is stop motion, and you've just thrown ghosts in? Why? What about the fire? I don't remember the fire. It's not like pitchforks and torches. Yeah, and uh, Jack, Jack uh, when he's dressed as the Pumpkin King, sets on fire, doesn't he? Uh, uh, yeah. He does, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, ghosts, the ghosts are odd, I admit that. I agree with that, because like um, it does feel odd to include like yeah, just drawn-on ghosts over the top of stop motion. I like this song, personally. I think it's one of the strongest songs of the film. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, I think the the opening few songs are the strongest song of the film. Yeah, it's very front loaded. It is very front loaded, which is good in some ways because it gets you into it. But then it that's part probably why it gets a bit draggy towards the end. One thing I that find slightly off about this song is that I feel like the vocals and the music is not quite attuned to one another in terms of the volume. <laughs> this maybe is quite a technical thing, but every time I watch this film, I feel like it's kind of the music seems to disappear a little bit into the background and it's more vocal led, but then like it'll kick back in at odd moments. Is that on purpose though? I don't know if it's on purpose because it feels, it doesn't feel right. It feels like it's a bit, like there's something off with the sound to me, but it, maybe it is intentional. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe it's supposed to be quite eclectic because it's Halloween. It's not all, is it all smooth like Christmas? Yeah. I mean, there is a general like schizophrenic nature about this film in a lot of ways, isn't there? Like things like Jack, especially as a character, seems very kind of like up and down and around and, and his emotions are like, you know, quite heightened or, or he's like got a strange intensity about him that seems to... Uh, to change from a yeah utter depression to a like crazed furious happiness so yeah so maybe maybe the music is also reflecting that but i feel like it doesn't feel in- it doesn't strike as intentional but maybe actually yeah, the fact that i'm picking up on it means that it, it was indeed what yeah. they intended i think the, the next song i think highlights that more probably that freneticism it, it goes through so exactly. many different musical phases yeah, yeah. yeah and and that's and that's where i think that that motif about jack specifically is really highlighted whereas this one it just feels like it's not quite right to me it could be so much scarier and i think it should because it's going to be nice when they get to christmas town and the whole you know he starts to soften i think they should have 
if they'd used it in like a slightly lower pitch and just slowed the beat just the te- like just by, just the tempo i think it would work a lot better personally yeah and do you think like cuz you mentioned Coraline earlier and there are moments in Coraline where it is like genuinely terrifying oh Coraline's Coraline yeah Coraline is yeah and also the concepts of stuff like like the bit when what's the the leading lady called in this i forget her name Sally Catherine Sally, yeah, of course when she pulls out the stitches sort of from her arm and it kind of and like the focusing on that of like the sort of the string sort of unhooks, it's very U-rated gore almost. You know, it's that I, they do it really well. And yeah, Coraline, the bits with the buttons for eyes, it's just so scary. Yeah. And there's like a concept. And I think you can hammer that home while it's still not being too scary for kids. Because there's so much going on, it's not slow. And I, and I think kids are more afraid by that element of it. Like if you focus on it, it's coming at you so quick and fast. I think they'd have been absolutely fine. Because... I don't think they necessarily move in a freaky way all the time. Only like Jack personally <laughs> freaks me out with his legs, <laughs> the spidery um, legs. Limbs. Yeah, I just think they could have. I just think they should have made it more nightmarish. I completely agree. I think like every time I watch it, I like it's going to be scarier than it is, or like it's going to be yeah, a bit basically. more creepy than Mute it is. Mute it, Alex. Mute it. That's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that probably does that. I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's a Netflix documentary called The Movies That Made Us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Is, it, is there one for I'm this? Aware of it, yeah. And there's one for this. There's oh, one for I this, which one. is really, really, really interesting. But they really try to emphasize the, the color palette more than the scariness in terms of making it different from Christmas Town. So rather than making it like ultra scary and then ultra happy, it was more like, oh, we just we made Christmas Town really colourful, <laughs> and we made yeah, yeah, yeah. Halloween Town really grey. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is like when you watch it, you see it's like a very visual change, but it's like you say it could have been more making it just a touch like creepy or scary. But yeah, you've got to accept as well that it is a children's film. But yeah, there is a a way you can do it, isn't there? Um, mm. There is a re- my favourite part of this scene is there's a part where Jack is the pumpkin king and on fire and he kind of dives into like some green slime and then like he appears out of it and then like all of the characters of halloween town all of a sudden like come into like a a chorus with the lars and that's that moment is like really really perfect but up until then it is just a bit yeah i think it's just a bit absent there's a lot of uh stuff just floating in black like black screen as well at the beginning so i think it's a good song and it introduces it well like you said d but then yeah i think there's a it could have been better. But again, I think we are... You could easily be a bit too harsh because oh, yeah. it's, it's one of the it's very the, first stop-motion yeah. animation films like to this length, like It's watching length. the divers on the Olympics and saying, ah, oh, just yeah. too much splash. You know, it should have yeah. come out earlier on that. While, while sipping my ale. It's that, you know, it's that thing of like, I, you know, I could never in a million years have this level of imagination, creativity and ability, but I can, as I guess the amateur critics that we are, you can still... Yeah. A hope for better. Yeah. Have you seen the Marilyn Manson version of this song? I haven't. I've heard the Panic no. at the Disco version. <laughs> there, yeah. Apparently, it was there was an album called Nightmare Revisited, which came out in like two thousand and eight, which was covers of this, yeah, uh, of the songs. And <laughs> Marilyn Manson did "This Is Halloween." Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's shocking. <laughs> Wait, shockingly bad or shockingly good? <laughs> shockingly, uh, hideously awful. Okay. Whereas the Panic of the Disco version is not bad. 
well, yeah, I mean, it can only get better from that. It's weird that they did that a tribute album, but two bands did the same song. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, the yeah, the cover album is filled with like sort of mid noughties staples like Flyleaf um, <laughs> and Corn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Fallout Boy. And the Plain White Tees. Yeah. Anyway, let's move <laughs> on. Let's move on to Jack's Lament which is the second song, which comes literally about 10 seconds after This Is Halloween, um, and it introduces Jack as essentially the main character and his internal conflict about always having to do the same old routine at Halloween. Um, he, Jack, the Bunkin King, has grown so tired of the same old thing. So what do you guys think of this number? I mean, we kind of alluded to it before. I, I like the freneticism i like how it goes through different phases different sort of musical stylings pacing is i mean i just see it as very clever i think it can it does detach me slightly but like i say it does give you a bit of an insight into jack's personality which is well manic (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) i guess that is the word i'd go for um but yeah i think this is the song to me that sounds very theatrical it almost reminds me of something from like phantom of the opera You, you get that feeling of a very large band or orchestra behind the film that Danny Elfman obviously has control over and it just I think this for me emphasizes the musical styling of the film um as for the song yeah it's pretty good cool D <laughs> yeah I mean my main takeaway especially from watching this for the first time is just realizing uh unless I'm being really stupid how good of a voice Danny Elfman has no yeah definitely I, I've never until I, I saw the film last year I'd never really acknowledged him as someone who wasn't just a composer. Did the Simpsons, yeah. Tim Burton films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the rest. Yeah. So if you're finding out that he has a voice that sounds almost David Bowie-esque was a bit of a shock. <laughs> I, I, I then looked into, like, to find out that he's, like, the lead singer of Oingo Boingo and stuff like that. Yeah. I, like, well, <laughs> I did not okay. know that. Well, but now you know. Yeah, and knowing is half the battle, is it? <laughs> I'm sure, that, as far as I'm aware, there's a version of uh, Jack's Lament by Oingo Bongo on the uh, Nightmare Revisited album. That's, I made that. I made that. <laughs> it's sort of hard to add to this one because it almost feels like a continuation of the same song with a similar broken feel. But I get what it does do well. I suppose is that we're going to revisit this type of song uh, two more times, three yeah, more times. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe uh, even more. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, in, in like four songs, not just motifs, yeah. and it, it does a good enough job of like getting it in your head to know that. Yep, we're going back to this again when it reappears later in the film. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, for, I was going to mention about Danny Elfman because uh, I didn't realise that he did the singing of Jack because he doesn't do the weirdly doesn't do the spoken lines. I don't know why they they didn't just. Like, oh, does he not? How no, no, he doesn't. I did not know that. <laughs> but he wasn't initially supposed to do the singing either. So he obviously recorded the songs when he wrote them, and they used those, I believe, to uh, build the scenes. So they were essentially using it as a backing version in order to get Jack's movements, his voice and things like that. And then they just decided to, he like really pushed to stick with it because I think he felt like when he wrote the songs that he had a lot in common with the character of Jack and really saw himself in it and he really wanted it to be him as the vocalist. That's that's unusual. The kind of thinking on it, kind of how we've referred to it in different ways is like that, where it's like that manic element of, I think that emphasises just how otherworldly it is. It's just like he, you know, there's that almost... So there's the longing, desperate side, and then there's this like almost intense, dominating, 
aggressive side, you know, with a smile and the, you know, how he's kind of clearly enjoys scaring. And then there's the somber, almost uh, melancholic. It's just how it, how it goes almost in like two lines and then it swaps to a different style. I think he's very clever. Yeah. And I think it's in this song where it works the best. And I think like, for me, I really like the opening this because I think the first song, this song and the next song, really cement the idea that you have of Jack as a character as being a bit chaotic but also being essentially conflicted and like looking for something to kind of direct him somewhere new it's the ending where it gets it wrong for me and I think that this song is what is probably really the life of the first half of the film yeah the way it moves in between kind of different musical styles very rapidly but very cleverly I think is what yeah probably makes it one of the standouts songs but i think as well visually it's the first time you see like the curly hill with the moon in the background the kind of oh, iconic it's a shot in it yeah. yeah and when he the way he his puppet moves specifically is it's so much better than the like you mentioned and a lot of the other characters are a bit stiff and a bit of an afterthought in their movement but he is like so perfectly put together and the way it's that kind of like spindly leg stretch around or mm. walk slowly and prances up the uh, the hill and stuff it is uh it's so visually striking and i think that's the image yeah. you have when you think of the nightmare for christmas you think oh, of yeah it's that yeah. him and usually him and sally in front of the moon which is obviously the closing shot but yeah the iconic kind of hill in front of the moon so i just think that that section is really well put together and obviously you have sally there in the background as well kind of following behind him and then you kind of immediately get the idea that she you know this could be like a a love interest throughout the film so yeah i think it does a very good job but i think as well you mentioned that it it feels like a musical staple kind of number and it comes at that point in the film when that kind of song usually comes we've referred to it before as a one song um but it's that kind of song and it danny Elfman said that he didn't want it to feel like a broadway musical and i think for the most part it doesn't it does feel more like a sort of light opera, like an operetta, I think is the term. Mainly because there is so little dialogue in between songs. But I think this is the one song where it's like, yeah, this is at home. This will be at home in a musical in a lot of ways. But it's maybe the style choice would say apart. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, personally think it's one of the uh, the stronger songs. So that brings us on to the third song in the movie, which is What's this? So Jack arrives in Christmas town. What is this? We're going to have like a dude who has my car <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs> dude! What does that say? <laughs> Jack arrives in Christmas town and is delighted by everything he sees and realizes, <laughs> hmm, maybe Halloween isn't everything. So, uh, what do you guys think of this song? Whilst I will say, uh, for the sake of uh, good listener retention for next week, um, I'll withhold my opinion on what is the best song. <laughs> I can safely say that this is the most Christmassy song of the movie. Yeah. And the best. The... And therefore best. <laughs> is that enough to take the crown of best song? Find out next week. It is. Uh, but yeah, I remember when I was watching this movie last year, I thought, I thought it had been a quite slow start yep. on purpose. But um, it, this is where the movie sort of springs into life and it, it puts a smile on my face. And uh, isn't that the true meaning of Christmas when you think about it? Putting sure. a smile on Dietrich's face. <laughs> Specifically. Specifically. Specifically you. That's what I was trying to do at Christmas. People of all religions come together to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> Much like Jesus, it wasn't on December 25th. 
<laughs> it's the birth of Santa. I love this song. I love it. It's on my uh, Christmas playlist, and uh, I think of all the uh, movie songs I've got, it's the one that I don't skip. Where does it come? <laughs> Where does it come? Like what? What's pre and post? Oh, it's, it's you've got to. All playlists should be built to be shuffled. Ben, I agree. I agree. If a playlist can't can't handle a shuffle, is it even a playlist? Exactly. Do you not end? Do you not plan ending songs that go naturally into the next? Is this just me? Yep. Do you plan all your uh, well, all your activities around the closing song from Lord of the Rings? Do you know me, D? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't shame me because a lot of it is yes <laughs> I listen to that when I work I have to fall in line with the shuffle idea because I have for the past 15 20 years refused to pay for Spotify premium <laughs> <laughs> so every playlist is shuffled for me don't you get, doesn't it add like it's songs to your playlist it now? does yeah, yeah it's done that for a long time <laughs> <laughs> but if you, know, but you, if, you have, if you have a playlist that is long enough it doesn't do that or it certainly didn't use to. So you've beaten the system. Yep. <laughs> just have a playlist that has about 2,000 songs on it. It's just like I robot you. Yeah, it's brilliant. Best song. Best song in the film. Or is it? Fantastic. Find out next week. It is. It is, 100%. Yeah, just the pace of it. Freneticism. It is uh, just all gas, no breaks. Lyrically, it's brilliant. I can't think of like many songs that sound like it in just general like media or in film, I think you get that real feeling that there's a full orchestra again, I think, for this one behind Danny Elfman. It's really layered, so much going on. Yeah, I just, yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. The The scene is one of those things, often I think find the scenes compliment it. I don't really mind it. I could just take this song as, you know, in a well-structured playlist. <laughs> <laughs> I will find where it should go in a Christmas playlist for you. I'd be interested to find out what you put either side. I know what's this sandwich. Which Alan Jackson song would you pick? Last Christmas on both sides, probably. By Cascada. Metro Station. <laughs> God, we're showing our age. Uh, it's the best song, though, isn't it? In the film. <laughs> See? <laughs> it probably is the best song in the film. And it's possibly the standout scene of the film. Or and is it, it? Come on. Or is it? But is it the best version of this song? Because have you heard the Flyleaf version? No, but I have heard the Fallout Boy version. <laughs> Which is also good. Uh, it's what's interesting. It was the first scene that they filmed, and it peaked. <laughs> the production <laughs> peaked. <laughs> but I think they probably thrust. Like when you watch, if you watch the documentary, you'll see how tired they all are by the end. They clearly put a lot of energy into this opening scene, into this scene that it shows because it's frenetic. <laughs> um, I just, I think it's very well. It's very well pieced together. I don't know how nobody sees him parading around the, the town, and like, yeah. Uh, on the Ferris wheel, on the on the sorry merry-go-round on top of the train, sliding down, enjoying. I mean, my favorite, absolute favorite part is where he like goes sneaks inside the house and just like lays down next to that tiny elf, and then just jerks up back off, and then the song continues. It's it's uh, it's just great. He jerks back off. Yes, good. He good jerks good. back <laughs> off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's a word. <laughs> um, there's like a lot of depth in this. Uh, how they've animated it. Like I think before it feels like almost like a Jack on a background. Whereas he, how he interacts with the environment in this, it really it it does feel real. Yeah. Like when he grabs the like the Christmas lights and they kind of like yeah, how they yeah, move. Yeah. I mean, God, the detail. I mean, if you ever have time, like there's a if you watch there's like a speed run through of Selick 
doing Coraline, like just like a sort of like a 10 second thing. And I think it must, it takes them like six hours just to do one scene and how they have to like move, like just like an, you know, like a, a, a little bit and then take a picture. It's just the commitment you must have to this craft. It's just fantastic. But yeah, I think this is probably one of the best bits of sort of stop motion animation after the train, uh, the, um, Wallace and Gromit uh, with the penguin. Yeah, which is which is the ultimate, the greatest stop motion, uh, stop motion animation scene of all time that will never be beat. Yeah, I mean that's just fact. That is just like undoubtedly fact. <laughs> fact. Yeah, um, I mean even like I think what's so good about this song is that to go back to Danny Elfman is the the sing acting that he does in this film, like the exclamations of pure joy are just like yes. yes. Are, are just so good and it just like really pulls you into the scene yeah, yeah. when he says have i possibly have i possibly gone daffy it just really feels like he's actually asking himself <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, he, and the snow genuinely does look good enough to eat which he indeed does um it looks so fluffy <laughs> so that ends part one of our look at the songs of nightmare before christmas tune back in next week and we'll have the rest of the songs and we'll reveal the mystery winner of what is best song <laughs> It's not a mystery. So goodbye, everybody. Bye. It's what's this? Button's work. For what's this? What's this?